This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. Today's special guest is Olympic weightlifter Mark Lavelle. Mark is a former national champion in the 82.5 kilo weight class. And for those who might not know exactly what that means, it means he was the best weightlifter in the USA in his weight class for that particular year. And that was in 1984. And Mark has achieved many other accomplishments during his weightlifting career, and we'll be discussing those accomplishments during the course of this interview. Unlike my last two weightlifting guests, I never got to train with Mark, being that I was from New Jersey and he was from Chicago. We never got to train together, but we got to know each other through social media. So, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mark. Oh, you're welcome. Good to have you. So, we'll start with the, the obvious question is... What got you interested in Olympic weightlifting? Oh yeah, great question. The um, the first my first experience with Olympic weightlifting was Wide World of Sports in 1970. They they had Vasil Alexia do his 227.5, and I was mesmerized by the way that he he lifted that. You know, at yeah. the time I didn't know it the clean and jerk. Right. Um, but at that time, I just thought that all weightlifters were these really big, huge guys. Yeah. Right. And I was, I was really tiny. So I didn't give it much thought. And then, like a lot of people, I got to high school and started playing high school football. Right. And want, wanted to improve performance. And my brother gave me a bunch of strength and health magazines. I, right. I still wish that publication was going. Yeah. And then I saw weight, smaller guys, weight classes. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. So I played football for two years, but I was so small. And I'm thinking to myself, my size in football is a tremendous disadvantage. In weightlifting, it's, a, it's a, an advantage. So I drifted right. into weightlifting. Right. Well, that's... Interesting because that's very similar to to my story. I, I, I remember watching Vasily Alexiev on Wide World of Sports. Uh, 1970, I was only eight years old, but I was like you. You know, I was just mesmerized by uh, the fact that he could clean and jerk over 500 pounds. But yeah. then, like you said, I thought all weightlifters were big. You know, he had that big belly and I thought all weightlifters you know were that were that big I didn't realize there were different weight classes yeah <laughs> one of the magazines that my brother gave me um I flipped open the magazine and there was a picture of Regert right and I was like holy cow that guy is athletic he's built yeah you know I was like man that you know, that was one of my role model idols. Right. You know? And of course, you know, being smaller, you know, the they're smaller guys, you know, I was like, wow, it's, it's kind of like uh, wrestling with weight divisions, you know how yeah. it is. And, uh, yeah. 
made more sense to me. Yes, and at that time they had uh, 10, 10 different weight classes, right? Yes. And that. actually when I when I first started, they did not have the 100 kilo class, and then that came in later. Right. So actually these days with all the constant changing every few years, it's kind of hard to keep up on everything. Oh, yeah. I don't even – I can't keep track of the weight class. Now, when you started, they didn't they didn't still have the, the press, did they? Correct. It was already eliminated. So I, I always tell people I was the first generation that did not have to press right. at Sarah Park. You know, right. so uh, I would see the guys, they would still they would still do pressing and uh, it just amazed me like the truth is, the first time I saw it, I wasn't even 100% sure what it was. It looked like some kind of push press. Right. You know, and they said, oh, yeah, it's that, that's a, a press, you know. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, a couple of the guys, it, it was almost like a standing bench press. They, yeah. they had gotten so far back. I, I guess so. that's part of the reason they... They eliminated it. It became so hard to judge because they were they were using the leg kick and leaning back. Like you said, mm -hmm. it almost looked like a standing bench press. Yeah. And the other thing that that I noticed about uh you know, I didn't experience it personally, but I was I always asked those guys, how long did a weightlifting contest take? Oh, you know, with it they're pretty long with just the snatch and the clean and jerk. So there'd be like a third longer trying to get the press in, in also. That's right. Uh, I I remember uh, when I first started uh, the gym I was going to in Belleville, New Jersey, uh, uh, Bruce Clemens, the photographer, uh, the famous weightlifting photographer was training there. And when he was uh, – started weightlifting they still had the press and he told me that one time there was a, a meet in philadelphia that he was competing in and they had to do all three lifts and by the time the competition was over it was like well past midnight and he had his car in a parking garage and they closed they locked up the parking garage he couldn't even get his car out of there and well, that's how yeah. long the contest would go yeah, it's crazy. So when was your first, what, what year was your first competition? So my first competition was in 1977. I kind of started uh, trying to figure out Olympic lifting on my own, like right. a lot of people have to do. And I went to the Cincinnati Novice Open Meet in late 77 totally self-trained, 67.5 kilos. I did 80 and 110. Oh, but more right. importantly for me, I met Marty Schnorf. Uh-huh. He, he was uh, Kurt White's coach and Stuart Thornburg's coach, and he told me about Mark LeMenager and Sarah Park. And to this very day, Marty is a very close friend of mine. I, I owe him a lot. Uh, he helped me any way he could, still does, you know, so it was the bigger thing for me was getting direction. I had heard of Sarah Park, 
you know, but at that time I was so young, I wasn't even driving. It's pretty far from my house, but, uh, you know, I went there, I met Mark Lemenager. He sac- Mark Lemenager sacrificed a lot of time and energy on us, which is greatly appreciated to this right. very day. I realized what he did for us. So, uh, so that, that got me going. Okay. So then from, from that, so you were pretty uh, successful in your, in your first competition. And from there, uh, you decided you liked it and you got some good coaching. So uh, from there, you, what was your, uh, your next competition or what was your first really uh, like your first major step to uh, a more uh, substantial competition? Yeah, like uh, I started training, you know, making steady progress with the direction of Mark Lemanager. And uh, here at the time, we had a meet called the Mid-Americans. Right. And it had a very high qualifying total. Just to qualify for the meet, you had to be pretty good. So, uh, you know, eventually I got, you know, worked my way into where I could qualify that for that. Eventually, I qualified for the nationals, and I had gone to to meets like uh, in in like 1980. I went to the nationals in uh, Philadelphia, right? And I went to the collegiate nationals in York, Pennsylvania, right? So between like 78 and 80, I was kind of working my way up into the national competitions. Okay, so uh, 1979 or 1980. Was your first nationals? Yeah, I did. I, I lifted well. I was still at sixty-seven-five in nineteen eighty, but I was having a hard time making weight. And at the national collegiates in York, at sixty-seven-five, I did one twelve-five and one forty-five. And at the time, those uh, the clean and jerk and the total were national collegiate records at the time. And I think the snatch tied it. And oh, then okay. we went to the Nationals in Philadelphia. I didn't snatch well there. I only made 105. Uh-huh. But I came back and I made a 150 in the clean and jerk. So oh, that was, I, I always favored the clean and jerk. Right. Yeah, me too. I, I favored the clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for those, for those who don't know, uh, we are the numbers he's uh, that Mark's giving are kilos. This is not pounds. Uh, in America, most people don't know kilos unless they're weightlifters. So, one hundred and fifty kilos is three hundred and thirty pounds. So that's a big, that's a big clean and jerk for someone at that body weight of one hundred and forty-eight pounds was uh, the weight class. Yeah. So that was a, a big lift. Uh, so from that point, um, so that was your first nationals, and then you continued to qualify? Yeah, in 81, I moved up to the 75-kilo class, and we went to uh, San Francisco for the nationals. I took second there to Fred Lowe, to you know, one of America's legends. Right. I I had I had a picture of Fred Lowe 
from a Strength and Health magazine tapped up on my bulletin board in my bedroom. You know, so it's like, oh, my God, this guy's like an idol. So yeah. he won. He lifted. I I did uh, I did 125 and 167.5 at 75 kilos in that meet. And if I remember correctly, Fred made all of his lifts, including a fourth attempt clean and jerk at like 183, I want to say. I made all my lifts, and John Orlando, who took third, he made all his lifts. Wow. So of the top three, there were no missed lifts. Wow, that's incredible. And then I went to the collegiates that year, too. I won again. I did uh, 120 and 165, I think it was, at the collegiates in uh, Auburn, Alabama. Uh-huh. So that then that- after the 1981 Nationals that you were talking about, I remember that's the year I started competing. So I was reading, you know, I was trying to get familiar with the top lifters. And I remember seeing a picture of Fred Lowe at that competition. Like you said, uh, fourth attempt, I think that was something like 402 pounds. Right. It, at the time and, and up until recently, it was the most any middleweight had ever clean and jerked. Right. You know, and then I think it, it held that way all the way until CJ Cummings. So it was there for a long time, you know, CJ obviously being a very talented lifter. Right. So Fred's, Fred's lift there was, was amazing. So in 82, I was also at 75 and uh, Fred wasn't there. Kel Shake was there. Uh Uh-huh. Another great lifter. He had lifted at 67.5 the year before. And he did. He made a, he, I want to say he snatched either 150 or 152.5 at 75 kilos, uh, which was the most any middleweight had snatched at that time. So in that meet, I did 125, 165. I was looking for, 127.5 and 170, but on my third attempt snatch, I almost dislocated my elbow, oh. which made it was really torque and it made it made jerking very sensitive, very painful. Oh, yeah. But uh, so I, I fell a little short of what I was uh, shooting for, but thankful that I didn't flat out totally dislocate my elbow. Oh, boy. Yeah, that that's a that was a close call. I don't know if you remember this, but around that time, Alico had improved their bars. That's right. And they were spinning faster, you know. So I just wasn't quite used to it. And I I do know that, uh, you know, a couple other people, you know, said, oh, yeah, that that bar really whips now. It's going good. I mean, Alico's a a fine, great product. So, right. But I think it was just a matter of it was. It was much better than anything I had trained on. Yeah, not being used to it. Mm-hmm. So when you get, yeah, so I could see how that could uh, affect you on the snatch because uh, once you got into the bottom position, the bar, the bar was uh, kind of still, the bar is kind of still spinning. Yeah, used to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I was jerking, it's like, oh man, it was. You know, I, I didn't think it would go out, but, uh, you know, b- your hands being closer, 
But right. boy, that elbow was my left elbow was pretty sensitive. Yeah. So. So then, uh, now we're at, so now in nineteen eighty. Now during this time, was there any other um, other than the nationals? Were there any other major competitions that you qualified for? Yeah, in um, in eighty three, we went to uh, we went to the nationals, and uh, I took third. I moved up to eighty two point five, and uh, took third there. And um, if I remember correctly, Kurt White won the meet. Tremendous lifter, and uh, and Pete Klein took second. He lifted very very well too. And that was, uh, I qualified for this meet in Edmonton, Canada. It's called the Edmonton Cup. Uh-huh. So we went up there, you know, the, the Canadians were very good to us. Right. So we had a meet. So beside the Nationals, that was the other big meet. I took second there uh, in Edmonton. I don't remember what exactly I did. I think it was like 130 and 175 or something like that. Okay. So... What what uh where was the the nineteen eighty three nationals? Eighty three was in Seekonk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, that was a good meet. You know, like actually, all the nationals I went to, they they were well run. Jim Schmitz had San Francisco, eighty one, uh, eighty two. We had it in Northbrook, Illinois. Right. Seekonk eighty three. York 84, you know, York is like the mecca of Olympic weightlifting. Right. So let's talk about the, the now the 1984 is an Olympic year. Yes. It was the year of the Los Angeles Olympics. So um, that was the, that 1984, you were involved in a three-way tie, is correct? That is correct. Uh, three... 310 was the total achieved by myself, George Prezura, and Al Jakubowski. You know, through the years, especially at that time, and I know that you will know this, it's a pretty small community. Everybody kind of knows each other, you know, so, you know, I, I knew them. They're great. They were great lifters. They're great people, you know, so we all knew it was going to be a tight contest. Right. So... You know, I, I did everything I could to, to be prepared for that meet, which was a little difficult. Injuries were starting to mount, you know. Yeah. You know how it is. It's it's pretty rough sport on the body. After so many years, yeah, it starts yep. to take its toll on your joints. Uh, but uh, you meant, yeah, what you mentioned there, one of the things I always loved about Olympic weight, I've competed in Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting, and Olympic weightlifting, I always felt like it was very, uh, like you say, everybody kind of hold for each other. It's kind of like a like a fraternity, you know. Like yes, everyone hold for each other, and um, I didn't find that as much in powerlifting. But uh, that nationals, there is a story about. Uh, the, the bananas. You, you want to share that story with us? Sure. I know that you had heard that. So during the weigh-in, I was sitting 
pretty much next to George and Al Jakubowski. Right. And uh, we all knew that we were going to make weight, you know, because we had checked before. And Al asked me, he had a bunch of bananas, and he asked me if I wanted a banana. And I declined. I didn't, I didn't want one at that time. So as it turned out, the three of us tied at 310 kilos, and I was the lightest man. So Al, who's from Michigan, or uh, at the time he's from Michigan, I think he lives on the East Coast now. You know, so I, I've seen Al at several competitions. He used to joke that I beat him by a banana. Right. <laughs> so. Well, who knows? If you would have eaten the banana, who knows, right? Yeah. Could have been different. Yeah. <laughs> but you were smart enough to, to not eat it. Right. Yeah, I had I had told Mark LeManager that this was going to be a tight contest. So I wanted to be the lightest of the three, if possible. And you were. You know? no. So. so did it come down? It came down to the uh, the final lift? You had to make your final lift? Yeah, it actually was my second attempt. So what had happened was uh, George Prejura was the most balanced lifter. Right. And I think he did uh, 135, 175. Very balanced. He always was very balanced lifter. Very good in the snatch, but he could clean and jerk too. Right. Al favored the snatch, and I can't I can't remember what he. I think he did one forty and one seventy, and I was on the other end. I was the guy that favored the clean and jerk, and I did one thirty and one eighty. So Al was like the snatch expert. I was a clean and jerk expert, and and George was the more balanced of the two of us. Right. So on my second attempt, I took I took one seventy on my opener. Then Mark Lemanager and I knew there's there's no reason to take anything less than one eighty because one eighty would get three ten and and I would win on body weight. So we went right to that, and I made it on the second attempt. Right. Okay, now did that qualify? Did that uh, qualify you for the Olympic trials? It did. Uh, what had happened? Like uh, injuries were mounting, right. so I decided early on I was going to try to go to the Olympic trials. They were in Las Vegas, and I was going to try to go, but I and I'm like I'm going to do everything I can for the nationals because, you know, e even. Even with the Russian boycott or the European boycott, Eastern European, you know, it, it, it's very prestigious to make an Olympic team. Don't get me wrong, but like, I was going to go after that national title, right? right? And I was able to get that, you know. But then my back was starting to go out, and my wrist was starting to hurt. And by the time it got to um, to the Olympic trials in Vegas, I just couldn't really support weights overhead. My wrist, uh, it had gotten a small stress fracture in my wrist. Right. And it, especially in a snatch, it made snatching really difficult. Not so much in a clean and jerk, but the snatch was excruciating. So I was, and after that, I just kind of, kind of fell off after that, after 84. Okay. So there was, uh, after 84, you didn't compete in any more uh, nationals? No, after my wrist, uh, no more nationals. After my wrist healed, I lifted in one more meet, 
And uh, I could tell that my wrist was not going to hold for long. And uh, my back, you know, even to this day, my back still bugs me a little bit. So I'm like, you know, I'm, plus, uh, you know how it gets to like uh, career starts becoming more demanding. Right. And uh, family, I wanted to start a family and stuff like that. So I figured it was just a good time to retire and move on to other stuff without doing too much more damage to myself. Right. Well, I do remember when I first started competing myself, I do remember uh, many of the lifters uh, warning me that, you know, you're not going to get any kind of government support. You know, you're you're on your own in this, in this sport. There isn't any – it's not like uh, – the Eastern Europeans, where they're basically doing this as a job, the weightlifting. Exactly right. Like, um, I always said this. I even even mentioned it to Mark Cameron one time through Facebook. I honestly believe that if Mark Cameron had the same setup as the Eastern Europeans, he would have beat them. Same yeah. thing with Lee James. And, you know, Mark and his, his typical, you know, humor said something like, yeah, but I would have never have met Joe Mills. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I honestly do believe had, had, you know, there was other U.S. lifters too, that if they had the same environment, they would have won. They would have beat them. Yeah, it, it was tough. That's uh, one thing I remember that was probably the biggest complaint of, of the lifters that, uh, you know, you were basically on your own. You had to work a full-time job during the day, and after you got out of work, you had to go and train for two or three hours. Yeah. It, it, it takes its toll. It does. You know, so, and then, you know, like you were saying, there's no financial subsidies, so... You're paying to train. You're yeah. paying to go to competitions and stuff like that. So, so at the time, and it, it probably was this way for you also. Like, uh, Sarah Park is part of the Chicago Park District, right? So the the yearly fee was just minor stuff. Mark Lemenager coached me; never charged me a penny. In fact, I'm sure I cost him money through the years. Right. You know, so. You know, nowadays it's it's gotten different where, you know, people are trying to hire themselves out as coaches. Like, you know, I, I came from, you know, not a not a poor family, but if I had walked into a gym and someone told me they wanted $150 a month, they wouldn't have been my coach. You know, right. I, there's no way that could have happened where I came from. So probably the same for you there in, in well, Belleville, right? It's exactly how it was, you know. uh mm-hmm. That's why I say it was very much like a family, a fraternity, you know. I had uh, Coach Bucky Cairo and uh, a lot of people there, uh, Tim Queso, Brian Derwin. Uh, these guys helped me, and, you know, never – they did it out of the goodness of their heart. They just right. – uh, you know, everybody wanted to help each other. Yeah, it's how it was. Like, before I ever went to Sarah Park, I knew Mike Carchute. Sarah Park had some really good weightlifters. Mike Carchute, Rick Holbrook. Although Rick later lifted for York, he would still train at Sarah Park 
Right. I, he was actually kind of done when I got to Sarah Park. But Carchute was there, Chuck Newton's, Gene Waldo. And they were like that. You know, they, you know, beside Mark LeMenager, they, they kind of explained to you how things are and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, at, I'm sure it was this way, too. I mean, with the lifters that you named, like at Sarah Park, pretty much every week you saw someone snatch 300 or above. Yeah. And clean and jerk 400 and above. It was common, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, like Mike Karchute was one of the big influences on me. He did everything fast. He could even press fast. You know, he would still press, not heavy, you know, right. but just for like regular training. I'm like, I used to think to myself, I'd watch him and I'd go, this is a speed sport. You got to right. really make these barbells move, you know. Oh, yeah. So, um, and you know, Mike, I'm sure, you know, Mike's history, he was like an eight time national champion. So it was great to train with him for all those years. Uh, I believe he is the guy, I used to see the pictures of him in the magazines. Uh, and I don't think I ever saw a picture of him where he was wearing weightlifting shoes. He would wear those Puma sneakers. Yeah, and he'd have them built up in the back. He would take them to a, a shoe shoemaker, and they'd build them up to his specifications. Right. That's at the uh, at the eighty three nationals, I happened to be standing in the warm up room. I was done lifting, and so was Mike, and we were just standing there. And Bruce Clemens came around, came along, and he seen us there. He knew us. I know Bruce. Right. You know, he's he's a legend in weightlifting. Yeah. And. Uh, he snapped a nice picture, you know, of Mike and I that I always treasure to this day. Oh, that's so, good. Now, you mentioned uh, Brian Derwin. Now, the lifters you men mentioned are fantastic lifters. But I always remember in 1980, one of my all-time favorite lifts was Brian Derwin's 2075. Right. In the clean jerk. Wow. I remember that lift. That was an amazing lift. You know, so one of my all-time favorite lifts That's was right. Brian Derwin. He needed that lift to uh, to win. That's right. He beat Guy Carlton. And, so, uh, uh, what were your so your best uh, competition lifts in the snatch? Okay, and so at sixty-seven-five, there were one twelve-five and one fifty. Not done on the same day, though. 75 kilos, it was 125 and 167. And at 82.5, it was 130 and 180. And even even by the, at the 83 Nationals, I was already starting to have wrist issues. I probably should have had it x-rayed sooner. Mm. You know, I just, you know, it's like uh, getting, like, progressively worse, you know, but... Uh, Right. So, and I was, um, I didn't lift much more in training than, than I did in meets, you know, so in, in training, they were pretty much the same, you know, in fact, the meets, I usually got five, seven and a half kilos more in the meet right. than I did in training. Wow. Oh, so one, one eighty. that's, uh, for those who, uh, again, for those who don't know the kilos, that's uh, only like four, three, four pounds away from four hundred pounds, right? Yeah, three hundred ninety-six. 
Yeah, that is a very big, uh, that's a huge clean jerk. So that, yeah, not not too bad for weighing, uh, you know, hundred. I was like one hundred eighty point five pounds and made three ninety six. That's not too bad. Yeah, that's a huge lift. Mm-hmm. What about um, in in training um, as far as squats? You know, front front mm-hmm. squats, back squats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were we were a little more into reps. Uh, I did in a front squat. I did two hundred five for a triple. And in the back squat, I did 227.5 for a triple. And after that, I did like, I can't remember, I think it's 240. comes out to like 528. Just for a single, it wasn't that hard. Um, And I also did, in the back squat, I did 220 for five. This was when I was at 82.5. I was a good squatter. Right. So... And how often, uh, how many times a week would you squat? We we squatted, we trained four days a week. We would squat at least three days a week. Right. And if there was a fourth day of squats, it was, you know, not super heavy. You right. know, Mark Manager had it. He was, to me, he was ahead of his time uh, with the training. And, you know, Mark, we used to also be communicate, and I still do sometimes with Jim Schmitz. Okay. From San Francisco. Yep. And the one thing that Jim, Jim was the first one that I noticed, and, you know, Mark would do it too, is that they were trying to get the most out of their weightlifters within the constraints of the U.S. system, like you were talking about, having right. a job, having a family. Because a lot of Jim's lifters only trained three days a week. They trained hard and they trained long. But, you know, he's like, he, he said something to me one time, like, uh, you know, when he would tell the lifters, when you're here, I have you, you're mine. Right. But then I want you to do all the other stuff that you need to do. You do that, you know, yeah. but when you're here, we're going to train. So, and Mark right. was the same way, you know, he was resistant to like every once in a while, we'd say, hey, maybe we should train five days a week. And we tried it a couple of times, but he was like, nah, just let's just do four and, you know, do your other stuff. Right. Yep, absolutely. So um, then af- after uh, your competing days were over, uh, you went into, you did some coaching? Yeah, I, I I actually was not involved in weightlifting other than, you know, watching it from afar. You know, right. of course, you know, guys like Suleimanov, you know, they, he was already around when, you know, as I was ending, but he just went on to make these amazing lifts, you know, and then there were guys that like Vardanian and Zlatev and Ruzev, although Ruzev was around. So I'd watch it. And then to me, like weightlifting kind of went into a, a funny period. You may feel the same way where it was hard to keep up. They kept changing the weight classes and changing the records and stuff like that. And uh, years later, uh, Rick Holbrook's nephew, uh-huh. Kevin Holbrook, he called me up and he asked me, you know, we went out, we went out for a pizza, me, him and another guy named uh, Kevin Duba. Right. And he was asking me, they really, they were training at Sarah Park, but they really had no plan. Yeah. You know, so all I really did for them was to give them plans that I had learned from 
Lemanager and Schmitz, you know, because I, I felt that, you know, we you have to do it within, you know, we, we can't we can't go to the gym two or three times a day, no. you know, five days, six days a week. It's, it's just not our schedules, you know. No. So I did that for a while, but, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but I'm getting up in age. It's getting harder to coach, to find the energy level. And then COVID came along and everything was closed, you know, so that kind of put the end to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, did a little bit of co- uh, my son got got into uh, lifting, and I was coaching him uh, for a while. But like you said, it it does it takes a lot of energy to coach too. It's not you know, it's uh I found it almost more difficult than uh, actually competing myself. The coaching is very nerve wracking, and you feel like you know if you if if the lifter doesn't make the lifts, you feel like it's your fault. You know. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. It was much easier being a lifter than a coach. Right. Yeah. You know? Very, yeah. So then when I left Sarah Park, you know, they had a lot of young, talented lifters and coaches. And so they're in good hands, you know, kind of like the lead coach there now, Alex Arquia. I coached him for, for, you know, a few years. He knows what he's doing. He's young and energetic. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're doing fine. Weightlifting's changed a bit too, you know. Like, like uh, some of the training principles are different than yeah. than they were. You know, I don't know if I don't know if they're any better or any worse because I never tried them. But uh, you know, I, I was always pretty basic. You know, we were like snatch, clean and jerk. The accessories like power snatch, power clean, power jerk. Front squat, back squat, pulls. We don't. We didn't. We didn't get too crazy with with uh, you know these weird combinations. Yeah. Or at least what I would call weird combinations. We we were pretty basic, you know. Right. Right. I I agree. It's changed a lot, and uh, yeah, I think even some of the techniques have seemed to have changed. One thing I notice is that you know I was always the way I was taught is keep the bar close to your thigh, you know, brush the thighs and don't bang it off your hips. But now they seem to want to bang it. It seems like they're banging it off their hips. That seems to be the new technique. Yeah, I remember one year, and I can't remember exactly what year it is, 75 or 76, Strength and Health ran an article that featured I can't remember how you say his first name, Nikolai Koloff from Bulgaria. Right. And they were talking about the double knee bend. Right. And and that's what they were talking about in my day. And that's what Lemanager taught us how to do that. That's right. And what was interesting was I had looked at pictures of Rick Holbrook in 1972 before the Bulgarians had ascended they, they were already good, but not like what they became. And Rick Holbrook was basically doing what they were calling the double knee bend. They, right. they, were, they were a little more down and the knees a little more forward, but he was basically doing the double knee bend. And yeah. uh, some, some people say they picked it up from him, you know. So he was, uh, I don't know if you remember Rick, but he was there. He had to press too, but he was a snatch clean and jerk guy. He wasn't, 
uh, average in the press, but he he made up for it in the in the quick lifts. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's what I was I was taught too. The the double knee where they uh, call it, where where I trained, they would call it the scoop. But yeah, we would say yeah. Once the bar passed the knees, we would say scoop. You know, right, right. Yeah. Right. It would, go, it would go in and you'd push in. And what was what's kind of funny, like uh, with some of the people I coached or some of the people that come had come through Sarah Park, they would say, you know, stuff like the double knee bend doesn't exist. It's or it's an old technique or something like that. And I go, yeah, you want to know something? You're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you may not be doing it completely, but I, here's here's you in video. Watch right. what your legs do. Right. right. And this this is a still sequence of a double knee bend, and look what you're doing. It's pretty much the same thing. You may not call it that, but that's what you're doing. That's right. Yeah, I remember that was kind of a big source of uh, controversy at the time. It was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would just tell them, you know, call it what you want, do what you want, but you know, that's that's what I believed in. That you know, that's right. what got the results for us. That's right. And I remember all of our. All of our sweatpants would always get uh, holes in the fr in the front of them. We'd have yeah, we iron on patches or sew patches on patches. Yeah, we'd have to put the patches on. Yeah. So uh, once you were uh, once you were pretty much out of weightlifting and uh, weren't coaching anymore, um, what? Uh, you had some uh, hobbies that, that kept you uh, occupied? Yeah, I, I tried some, you know, like a lot of lifters, uh, you know, I tried some martial arts stuff, uh -huh. see how that was, and uh, got into cycling. I've been cycling for many years. There's something sort of primitively meditating. I live right by Lake Michigan, so I can go up and down right. the lakefront path. Chicago's got a spectacular skyline. And, it, you know, I go out there, I'm getting exercise, but I'm enjoying it. I always love to see the, the skyline and the lake and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that that's pretty much even what I'm doing today. You know, so beside my my wife and my daughter and my granddaughter and my son-in-law, you know, that's right. it's it's them and them cycling. Right. Well, that seems to be a popular sport for weight, like a lot of weightlifters, it seems after they retire from weightlifting, they, they get into uh, cycling, I guess, because uh, they figure they already have the, the leg strength. So it's a kind of a natural transition. Yeah. One, one time uh, a, a lifter slash cyclist, mostly a lifter, said to me, I think cycling's harder than lifting. <laughs> and I said, oh, hell Yeah. You know, like in lifting, this is over in five or ten seconds. You make it or you don't. Right. You're riding the Tour de France. You're suffering three weeks, you know, going up and down the Pyrenees and the Alps and stuff. <laughs> like like one time, just out of curiosity, they had a – it wasn't a bike race. They call them these rides. It was right. called the North Shore Sentry. So I rode my bike from here to a suburb called Evanston which is about six miles from here. I rode the century 100 miles, and then I rode back to my house. So it was like 112 miles. Wow. Took me almost eight hours. And I'm oh. thinking, these Tour de France guys, they're doing this pretty much every day for three weeks. 
And I'm on a flat course. I'm not going up and down mountains. Yeah. So I was like, wow, I, I got to, you know, I had a big respect for them anyway, but even more so after that. Wow. I, I can't imagine. that. That is pretty grueling. Well, I think, uh, I thank you for your time. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add to it? No, I just, uh, I just say, you know, thanks. Thank you for what you're doing. Kind of keep, keep the old stuff in light and in focus. There's a lot, lot to be learned from back then. Yes. I, that, I want to, uh, continue to interview more weightlifters. Uh, you're actually my third, third weightlifter that I've interviewed. I started with George, Pajura, uh, Mike Listra. Now I don't know. He's probably a little, he's probably uh, probably quite a bit younger than you. So I don't know when you were in the seventy five kilo class. Do you ever remember competing against him? No, I, I do think he came a few years after me. Right. He was he's a very talented lifter. You know, um, being that I was a sixty seven five seventy five and eighty two five. I always had a soft place in my heart for the smaller lifters, you know, so I, I would, I seen him, you know, in magazines and stuff like that, you know, right. I was always kind of rooting for him is what I'm trying to say, you know, yeah. because he was a high quality lifter. You know, one of the things too, for lifters in those weight categories is those, those are extremely competitive classes. Oh, yeah. You know, there's just a lot of human beings that fall in that body weight range. So, you know, to to achieve those results, you know, it's it's under a lot of a lot of good competition. That's right. Uh, 75 kilo class and the 82.5 kilo class were always the uh, most highly populated. They had the most lifters. I remember looking at the rankings, and there were way more lifters in those two weight classes. Because, like you said, that's kind of like uh, the average size for a for a man. Uh, yep. So I I uh, I started in the seventy five kilo class, moved up to eighty two point five, and I got up. You know, once I started clean and jerk, I was much better at the clean and jerk. I was clean and jerk over, I was over 300 pounds, and I thought, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And then I looked at what some of the other guys in that weight class were doing. I said, well, I got a long way to go. Yeah, but that's still a, that's still a darn good lift. Don't cut yourself short. <laughs> you know, well, you know, one thing that, um, that I thought about years later is, you know, they would always give you like these theoretical numbers, like right. you should snatch like 80% of your best clean. Have you ever right. heard anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was always like 73%, 75%. And um, what I noticed as I, as I looked back is the first time that I ever did anything that resembled a snatch Right, and the first thing, the first time I ever did anything that resembled a clean and jerk, I was at like seventy three or seventy five percent, and it pretty much stayed that way, regardless of what I tried to do. Right. You know, 
So toward the end of my career, I just said to myself, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to snatch all I can snatch. I'm going to clean and jerk all I can clean and jerk, and that'll get me to the total. But I'm not going to take time away from the clean and jerk trying to make this better. Right. When now, now I'm you know, trying, I'm making maybe minimal progress with my weaker lift, and I'm hurting my better lift. That's right. So, so my advice to, to, the, to the clean and jerk people is just do the best you can in both lifts, but, but don't hurt your better lift. You know, to try to make the other one better. Right. I, I, w- I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun interviewing you, and uh, thank you for, for joining us. I, I hope uh, this will help. Uh, maybe some of the younger lifters will, will listen to the interview and uh, hopefully get some uh, good tips from, from what you've said. Yeah, I hope so too. Okay, uh, Mark, thank you for for taking the time. It was a pleasure. Okay, thank you, Mark. All right, take care. God bless. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.